You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Hello everyone and a warm welcome to our pod. I am Peter Donrud. I'm in the faculty of the Swedish advanced training program in change management and quality improvement work and one of the co-founders. I'm, I'm proud to present to Professor Kieran Walsh. Uh, you are a professor of health policy and healthcare management. And you have in, been invited to give a lecture here at the advanced training program in Jönköping. And the main reason is, of course, that your textbook is on the very top of our long reference list for the ATP Nordics. And um, you have been given a, 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 a very exciting presentation this afternoon on um, healthcare innovation systems and their function and how we can uh, align the goals. So could you please start to elaborate and, and summarize your, your presentation? Well, I think in a few words, what I was trying to say in the presentation is that we we get from our healthcare research and innovation system what it's designed to deliver. Uh, and I was suggesting that the way that the healthcare research and innovation system works doesn't necessarily get the best value for money out of the very considerable resources that we invest in it. So in, in most European countries, we, we spend billions of pounds or euros on health research, both from government, from our healthcare systems, and from business interests like pharmaceutical and medtech companies. Um, and the question I was trying to pose was whether the way we organize those interests, those different research funders and producers, and the healthcare system which needs their research, whether the way we organize that really gets good value for money. And I was suggesting it, it didn't. And one of the prime reasons I was arguing was that the research needs of the healthcare system are insufficiently well articulated and they don't really drive the research that is done by our research uh, producers. Uh, I got the impression that um, uh, quite a lot of the information was uh, new to many of the participants in our program. Uh, is it new uh, to uh, listeners in, in your country? Um, I, I think so, and I think this is where it's worth thinking about how other sectors, uh, other industries deal with research. I think if you went to large enterprises in most other sectors in service or manufacturing, um, you'd find that those enterprises have a research and development department, that it's well embedded in the organization, that it's closely connected to things like product development or service development, marketing, customer needs assessment, manufacturing, production, and so on. Whereas if you go to a healthcare provider, a healthcare organization, you'll often find that the research function there is mostly organized to make the organization a good place for other organizations to do research. So for example, to be a host for research that is sponsored, funded, organized by, and done for pharmaceutical companies or universities. And that seems to me a, a really important difference. So I think in healthcare organizations, our research capacity is often quite limited. And 
the capacity of those organizations to engage with research and to think about their own research needs and then to go about satisfying them either by doing research themselves or by bringing in research partners like universities is quite limited. You have been into this area for many years and it's it's a main concern and interest of yours. Uh, was the information totally new to you? I got interested in this as an area um, because I was leading a program in our National Institute for Health Research, which is one of the two big government funders for health research in, in England. Um, and the experience of commissioning research programs and projects, of being involved in planning and strategizing for research in NIHR, that all made me feel that that too often the interests of the healthcare provider community and healthcare systems, healthcare funders, for example, um, simply weren't well represented and that the way we set the research priorities and the research agenda was mostly led by people who are active in research. That That's academics, universities, the biomedical research um, uh, interests, the life science interests, um, and of course, business interests in pharma and med tech. Um, I began to feel that the research produced was not well coupled, not well linked to the needs of the healthcare system, and that the healthcare system therefore was often the unwilling recipient of research and innovation which had been commissioned by other interests, produced by other interests, and which they'd never really asked for. And that the, the work they did need to do was often not well uh, articulated or well served. Mm. To my understanding, there are many stakeholders in this area and they work and think according to different logics. Uh, how do you bridge the gaps? You present the data, which is based on, on many years of research. Uh, but, but how do you uh, reach to the stakeholders and how, how do you bridge the gaps? I think that that's a real challenge because this, this system in which um, Health research is done mostly by universities and pharmaceutical companies um, to serve the needs of the healthcare system and healthcare organisations. Um, it, 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 it becomes difficult because those different groups have really quite different interests. So universities have an interest in uh, research income, in producing high quality research outputs, publications, um, in producing... Um, high-value kudos and reputation for research, but they're not particularly interested in implementing innovation in healthcare organizations. That's not what they're there to do, and that's not what they're designed to do. Equally, um, the commercial interests, understandably, are motivated by investor uh, and shareholder um, value and return on investment and, and profit. So they will prioritize producing things, producing research, which is likely to have a good rate, rate, of, rate of return and be profitable. Whereas the healthcare system may well want research that would be value increasing, but cost lowering. That's almost the antithesis of what some of the commercial interests would want. And they may want research which is not very exciting, but really necessary for the healthcare system. Mm. That may not be what the academics and the researchers in universities want to do. Mm. So bringing those interests closer together and trying to resolve those conflicts mm. seems very important. So the recipient is not only unwilling, but also blindfolded. 
I, I don't know. I think part of part of what I, I have been trying to do is to get research, get leaders in healthcare organisations to be more interested in and take more responsibility for their role in research. So we can't complain if the um, research priorities are set by healthcare, uh, by, by academic interests and by research producers if healthcare organisations haven't voiced their research needs. So we need healthcare organisations individually, but also collectively, to be much more active in setting research priorities and setting expectations that research will serve the needs of healthcare systems and services and be a benefit to patients. Uh, which would be the, the main uh, target group among the decision makers in your country in order to, to, to start a paradigm shift? I think that, that's really, paradigm shifts are very hard things to do. So I, I think it's important to get people to understand um, who are senior leaders. So this is board level members in, in healthcare organizations and in healthcare funders, but also people in government and in national agencies to understand that we're probably not getting good value for money out of some of our investment in health research and that we could do better. And once they can see that and once we can get some consensus around that, it becomes easier to articulate the ways of doing it. That's difficult territory, though, because there are some very powerful um, commercial and academic interests mm. at work here who, who might not welcome, for example, a shift in resources towards more applied health research or towards more research done in healthcare organizations rather, rather than in universities. And I guess when it comes to the innovation systems and that is more of... Uh, more of a focus on improvement science. Uh, is that a, a branch of science of its own at your at the universities in your country? Um, I'm never sure how to understand the term improve, improvement science. I think I think the the practice of improvement has to be done systematically, and it uses many of the tools and methods and systems of the social sciences, particularly. Um, that doesn't, I think, in itself make it an academic discipline, but it's a really important set of skills for, and capabilities for healthcare organisations to have and to be able to use. I also think that improvement projects and improvement activities need to be grounded in good research. So very often they need research as a starting point for, for example, saying what improvements can be made in healthcare services. Also, I think improvement projects sometimes generate questions which we can't answer through the improvement process where we do need, need new research where we need research to understand for example the effectiveness of of two different ways of running a care pathway that's a research question and one that we should be able to feed into the research process and see researchers come back with an answer in sweden we we now know that only a small minority of the um, healthcare leaders at the uh, uh, upper middle uh, management level and the top uh, level uh, have an academic background. Um, is that of an importance or not? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm not on the whole sure I'd argue that academics should be in charge of healthcare organizations or any other organizations. But I think having research savvy leadership, so leaders at a board level, understand research which doesn't mean they necessarily need to be researchers or academics 
but who really do understand the place of research and what research can do to support improvement in their organisation is important. And again, the parallel would be, would be with other sectors where you would find senior scientists um, with a background in their content area, be it automotive engineering or pharmaceutical science or computing and information technology, absolutely at board level, mm -hmm. but acting as board members, not as scientists. Board members bringing science to bear on improving services and products. As you are a friend of, of Sweden, uh, you are well aware that for many years healthcare leaders have been traveling to, to, uh, to Great Britain and to visit NHS and your healthcare system. Uh, what be, would be a um, take-home message in this area for, for healthcare leaders from Sweden visiting your country? Oh dear, I, I don't think there's any, any one take-home message. I always think it is absolutely great to get healthcare leaders to look abroad, um, look outside their own healthcare system, both to other industries within their own country and to the healthcare sector in other countries to see how things are done and to use other countries as a kind of learning laboratory, if you like, with an, a natural experiment. Um, I just caution that that there are many risks associated with kind of policy tourism, with going and seeing a policy initiative in another country and uncritically bringing that back home and, and suggesting we should we should do that. Policy transfer is, is complicated uh, and it depends a lot on understanding the context from which a policy has come. Uh, if it's something that has worked well, why it has worked well, um, and then understanding the context into which you're going to put it. So with all those provisos, actually, I think healthcare system leaders getting out of their own systems and offices and going and visiting elsewhere and taking lessons back is a really good thing. Um, what lessons they take from the UK? Often they're positive lessons uh, about the way in which we may have, um, or a good example would be, um, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence in the UK, I think, is is a, a global exemplar for how to do health technology assessment and clinical guidelines. Um, sometimes they're, they're less good lessons. So our use of a, a relatively fragmented internal market um, for the last 20 years or so has been an object lesson in, in how fragmentation makes it really difficult to secure integrated care delivery. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything we have left out by mistake? <laughs> I don't think so, but it's been really nice to have the opportunity to come, for, come to Young Shipping. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for, for your presentation this afternoon and for visiting us and um, safe travels. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs>